All right. Hello and welcome to Hey All You Zombies, our weekly podcast of all things that are kind of cool and quirky. My name is Chris Abel, and my cohort over there is the wonderful, the fantastic Richard Krauss. Thank you. I haven't shaved, so I'm feeling less wonderful than usual. I saw your tweet uh, about being a noto bene and being unshaven and, and looking crass. And I was well, thinking, you know, we were supposed to. It was a little meeting I was having, and this was yesterday, and we were supposed to go somewhere else, uh, considerably more down market and fun uh, for lunch. So I've been uh, – the reason that I'm uh, unshaven and looking more like a mole than usual is I've been – pre-screening movies for the Toronto International Film Festival. So I've just been sitting in the dark for the last uh, two weeks watching two and three and four movies a day. And so, you know, I haven't been shaving. I haven't been doing that. I haven't shaved uh, for a couple of days. And at the last minute, the meeting was changed to the considerably fancier Note Bene. So I went over just, you know, I didn't have time to go home and change. And as soon as I walked in, I was just looking around thinking, uh, it's like, you know, dirty Uncle Frank uh, just walked through the door. Well, I mean, you weren't wearing what you're wearing now, right? Like, you did you have your usual suit and tie, or no, 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 no. I was dressed pretty much uh, the way I am right now: uh, jeans and a shirt like this. I hadn't shaved, and um, I had a bag that was filled with newspapers and notes and scraps of paper that have notes on them that I need. And uh, <laughs> so. So you were that guy. I was that guy. Yeah. yeah you're looking around like, wow, you know, see who he is? That's hilarious. But I was thinking, you know, noto bene, that it was, you know, it would be okay. If it was in black and white, if your experience was in black and white and people were speaking French, it probably would look completely fine. It would be like an art house film. Oh, you know what? It was fine anyway. People were nice. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, had I known uh, that I was going to go, I would have, you know, I would have uh, uh, dressed a little differently, but everyone was very nice to me. The manager came up and complimented me on my shoes. Your shoes, that's nice. Yes, I was wearing shoes. Well, and, you know, a good manager will find something <laughs> and give you a good compliment. That's right. That's cool. Uh, well, I want to show you what I'm wearing today because I've had everybody bugging me to show you. Mm. Uh, but this is my – let's see if I can get the – by the way, this is my grumpy cat shirt. That's crazy, yeah. And as you can see, the eyes move and look yep, around. <laughs> they look up, they look down. At one point, there's flames that kind of go on. There they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So, And it's funny because you have become so synonymous with grumpy cat here in amongst all our friends and coworkers in Toronto. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah, well, instantly. I love the Grumpy Cat uh, still, uh, even though, you know, the Grumpy Cat's moment seems to have passed just a little bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, like all internet memes, it's huge for a little while, and then, then it kind of uh, uh, settles down. But there's books, and there's a movie coming, apparently, and, you know, whatever. I'll, I, I, I may not buy the books, but I'll probably go see the movie. And uh, I, was, uh, I was just so amused by the Grumpy Cat for so long. Um, trouble is, you know, with, the, with something like that, there's a, a limited amount of of, um, of uh, facial expressions that the grumpy cat can have. And I had two or three favorites. There are thousands of pictures of those. I looked at them. I was amused. I moved on. But I do – I still have a, a very warm spot for the grumpy cat. Oh, sure. 
well, this is done with the exact same app I did for the uh, skull, where the eyes looked around. It's called Digital Duds, and he updated it recently because uh, Halloween's in a couple of months. And one of the effects was to add cat eyes, and I was trying to think of something creative that I could do with it. Right. Not okay. Well, you know, yeah. Before everybody is sick to death of Grumpy Cat, we'll, we'll <laughs> uh, and I, I figured that I should have in my closet at least one internet meme, something mm -hmm. like that, you know, for my line of work. And, I, and over the years, uh, of all the stuff that's been out there, I, I kind of figure like, yeah, I could have Grumpy Cat in my closet. <laughs> Well, uh, the internet this week uh, kind of uh, blew up a little bit, uh, starting on, I guess it was Thursday night. I was on my iPad, sort of, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and I, I saw on Facebook, uh, Ben Affleck's going to play Batman. And then I went and did something, I came back 10 minutes later, and literally the world had burst into flames. And, you know, people were uh, commenting, and not really, you know, in a particularly flattering way. Uh, my favorite tweet from all, well, there were two that I loved. Uh, one just said, uh, dear at Ben Affleck, don't read the internet today, which I thought was pretty funny. And then uh, another one said, uh, because, of course, the negative ones are always funnier than the, than the positive ones. Uh, but uh, one of the negative ones said uh, something like, um, Casting Ben Affleck as Batman is the worst thing to happen to the franchise since George Clooney's bat nipples. So I'm kind of on the other side of the fence on this one. I think that uh, people were hard on Michael Keaton when he was cast in the Tim Burton movies, and he turned out to be fantastic. I think people are reacting more to, you know, memories of Daredevil, uh, Gigli, Surviving Christmas, Reindeer Game, and a number of the really bad movies that he made. He made a, he had a little little dry patch there where he made a lot of really terrible movies. And I think that's what people are, are uh, relying on for their to, to vent their hatred. For me, I would have liked to have seen Josh Brolin take it. I think Josh Brolin would have been a good, wizened old Batman. I think that he would have brought a certain gravitas to it, a certain being there, done that quality that I think that they're looking for for this character now. Uh, and then maybe cast him in the role and have Ben Affleck direct it. Because Zack Snyder is coming back, visionary director Zack Snyder. And I'm just not sure. I mean, as, as interesting looking or as cool looking as his movies are, uh, the storytelling really uh, is lacking in them, I think. And so I would really love to see Ben Affleck direct Josh Brolin as Batman and then start from there. I think that would be a good mix. Yeah, I have to. I mean, I haven't placed a lot of importance on this movie. I'm getting to the point where uh, you know we have to realize that these franchises are going to be milked so much yeah. that you can no longer sort of pretend like no, they're going to ruin it. No, 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 no. There's piles of these these movies out there, and especially one that's Batman versus Superman. Uh, it's probably going to end up being for me categorized like Aliens versus Predator. You go because it's a popcorn experience, not because you think it's going to be part of the, the canon. Uh, and maybe people are really worried because this is setting up Ben Affleck not just for one movie, but for the, the, the next series of movies, and maybe that's true, and maybe it's not, who knows. But I'm with you in that I think you need to give Affleck a bit of a chance. On paper, he's a good choice. He actually loves uh, comic books. He's part of the geek culture. He understands it all. He has a strong jaw. 
Yeah, he's he got the look. Good in the cowl, you know. He'll look good in the mask. He's yeah. got that jaw that you need to play it. Well, and at least he understands what's required. So he is someone that if he looks in the mirror and he does not see Batman that he knows from the video games and the comic books, then he's going to, you know, at least have some bit of a critical eye that's going on there. He is a, a good actor. He's made bad choices and he's gotten into wrong crowds over the year, but he is a good actor. My only concern, I mean, he's not my first choice or my second choice or my third. Uh, or well, I don't think he was anybody's first no. choice. I mean, that, that was the thing that was was so kind of shocking about this, I think, is that it came out of nowhere. I had reported on the radio the week before that an announcement was imminent. I had heard this. I had heard Josh Brolin was in the running, like very close to the top of being on the list. Uh, Ryan Gosling was another one. But, you know, Ryan Gosling, frankly, yeah. is just one of those actors who gets offered everything. Him, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Clooney probably get, you know, they get all the scripts first, and then they sort of go, no, you have this one, Josh Brolin. You take this one, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman. This one can be for you. So um, those guys I didn't take terribly seriously, but Josh Brolin I thought was a choice. But Ben Affleck's name was nowhere to be heard here. Yeah, my only concern with Affleck is that I think he's not an actor who's transformative, or he's not shown that. Right. in his career. I mean, there are other actors that, you know, they take on a role and they look completely different, but there are some actors, and Leonardo DiCaprio is one of them, where every movie I've seen him in, he's Leonardo DiCaprio. Or, you know, uh, Brad Pitt, not so much, but Ben Affleck, I, it's always, you know, it's like Ben Affleck in Argo was Ben Affleck with a beard. You yeah. Know? In Dogma, it was Ben Affleck with angel wings. It's, yeah. it's really hard to see him be transformative, and you kind of need an actor who can do that for these kinds of roles. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, I always think of, of like, late-period Dustin Hoffman being that way, too. When you look at the screen, you always see Dustin Hoffman. He's a brilliant actor, but that's when you see Dustin Hoffman first. Yeah. You know? uh, ben Affleck, I don't know. I mean, I, I've, uh, I've never... Uh, I've always thought that he was a solid actor, not a great actor, but he's kind of a movie star. I mean, when he's in things... You know, generally speaking, I think I, I, I buy him, unless it's Gigli or, you know, which is so spectacularly bad, it should be taught in film schools and as a way, you know, not to make movies. But, you know, well, the upside to, to the, the casting announcements was Brian Cranston as Lex Luthor. Yeah, that's cool. And that's going to be really good. And there's, and there's a great example because I don't think if people knew about Breaking Bad, before it became a TV series, if it was released as a book or a comic book, I don't think anybody would have chosen him right. for Walter White. There are people who we've kind of developed a, a goofy association with that can, you know, surprise you. But, I mean, it, at least with uh, movies like this, you can kind of have somebody who kind of is a little mediocre in the hero role, right. but as long as you get the villain down right then it sort of elevates their performance. So, you know, watching Heath Ledger be the Joker uh, certainly improved having Christian Bale as Batman. Watching Brian Cranston be Lex Luthor, the villain of that movie, I think is going to help elevate uh, any problems that people have with Affleck. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, maybe so. I mean, I think that if you take Heath, Leather, Heath Ledger out of that movie, there's not a whole lot of movie left. And... Uh, and, you know, he really did elevate that. Lex Luthor, not always my favorite character. I love Gene Hackman. Yeah. Don't really care about, uh, I, I mean, just because I, I, those movies just make me giggle, and I enjoy them, uh, the, the Hackman, Christopher Reeve movies. I wasn't that keen on Kevin Spacey's uh, take on it, so 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I wish they'd come up with a different villain. Lex Luthor. I'm kind of Lex Luthored out a little bit, I think. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's the iconic villain. Um, I think there's there's still room for somebody to come in and sort of, you know, crack that villain and make it fantastic. So maybe that's what they're thinking. Brian Cranston's going to be an excellent actor for it. I don't know if Zack Snyder's going to be an excellent director for it. Like, I'd get even more excited if it was Cranston under somebody else. But we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, we will see. I mean, Cranston would be a good choice, but, I mean, um, my my issue with Lex Luthor, and I, you know, listen, I I have admitted here before, so I didn't grow up reading these comic books. I was more of a Shazam guy. Nobody yeah. was a Shazam guy. I was a Shazam guy. Yeah. So I didn't really grow up reading these comic books, but um, I think that it, it is a fairly common criticism. People like Lex Luthor, I get it, but it's a fairly common criticism that you have a godlike superhero who can do virtually anything, who is flummoxed frequently by just a guy who's a bad guy, just a regular mortal who's a bad guy. I don't buy into it. I want him to have a special power other than just being an asshole. You know, I would like him to have a, a better superpower than that. Well, I know, and they've done stuff like put him in special exoskeletal power suits and stuff in the comic books, but that's a bit of a, a cop-out as well. I don't know, it's it's a tough, and that's a story-based challenge that has to be overcome. Zack is not really known for his story, so uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see how it all kind of pans out today. Um, you know, speaking of bald men, I've sent you the link. You have to see the video that's up of Patrick Stewart. Um, that's out there right now on quadruple takes. And so what I will tell you what it is, um, it's beautiful. It's his fiance. Right. Uh, Susie Orrell, she's a singer. Right. Younger lady than Mr. Patrick Stewart. And he's recording her. Uh, she's recording him. Right. And they're having a very sweet, nice little moment of conversation. They're flirt flirting with each other. Uh, she's got her feet propped up on his knees, so you can see her little painted toes. And he's giving her a master class in the quadruple take, which is something that you need for, uh, yeah, 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 you got it. And it's just, uh, I don't know, it's it's a very sweet moment. It's wonderful that they're, they're kind of sharing it. I think everybody's going to go nuts. It's about, had about half a million hits. But it's fantastic, just the line. The, sec the great thing about it is the line, which is that he sits there, and he does each version of a single take, a, a double take, and it starts off with the line with, her buns are the best. Right. You know, and he I does that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's hilarious. I've been trying to do my own quadruple take all day. And he says the difference is that the, the first three takes are kind of naturalistic. It's something people genuinely do. The fourth one has to be stylized, where right. it's, you know, be her, big. Bun, uh. her buns are the best. And it's like, you know, like that. <laughs> That is a, that is quite excellent. He uh, he's getting a lot of social media traction these days. I mean, he's Patrick Stewart, and so you know a lot of people that are on social media will be attracted to things that he does. But I saw him. I sat next to him in a play recently. When we talked about this. I went to see Alan Cumming, one of his castmates from the X Men movies, do Macbeth in New York, and Patrick Stewart was in the audience, sitting just uh, just over from us, and uh, he was reading his program with two pairs of glasses on. He had one pair of glasses on and then another pair over that glass, and he was reading them. And then when the play started, he took one of the pairs off and just watched the play through one pair of glasses. 
which I thought was unusual but kind of cool in a way. But then, apparently, the next day, he went and he ate his first slice of pizza ever. And this went, like, berserko on the Internet. Everybody was tweeting and retweeting this picture of him eating a slice of pizza, his first New York slice of pizza. That's amazing. Yeah, he's getting <laughs> well, a lot of attention this way. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I don't know enough about it, whether, I know this video is from his fiance. I don't know if the others are, are as well, that it kind of helps when you have someone to yeah. kind of have that filter of knowing what little things that you do are going to be internet gold, as it were, so it's kind of cool. But I know people have been big fans of Patrick Stewart, not even just from the Star Trek. Like, if you're sitting at a table and there are six women there and you mention Patrick Stewart, you, it's going to be a hard time getting them to stop talking. You know, you might as well mention Leonardo DiCaprio or, you know, Justin Bieber. He's always been very, very popular amongst the, the ladies. Yeah. Well, the powerful, bald men often are. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I guess that's great for, for so many men over the years who have been balding and had comeovers that it's never been something to be proud of. And there you go. You know, I, you're I saw the other day, just, I mean, this is not a topic. I'm not starting this as a topic. But I saw the other day the most outrageous comb-over I've ever seen. And it was a man who clearly just has, you know, the crown, right, this, sort of the, this part right here. And he's grown it long on the one side as you do, you know, when you do a comb over and it slaps down this side and, it, and the, it's the illusion of having a full head of hair, except that he had it down and it was sort of swirled down in the front, but it was cut here, so he only had really like it, it, like half a head of hair, but it was all combed up from here, so it was like he was just trying to cover half his head and the other bit was bald and it was really really odd and you know I went to have a second look and you know listen it's just it's bad but I did uh, you know like, Whoa, what one of those looks like a la Patrick Stewart and he saw me looking and I was embarrassed and I felt bad that I was looking at his freaky hair but something clearly something bad clearly happened to this man uh, to make him cut his hair like that that's it sounds like almost like a, a crossover between a comb over and a mohawk like a comb hawk it was something, yeah, there was something not not all good about it, yeah. I guess when you're in that situation, it's, you know, time to shave it all off. I don't know. Oh, I think so. If I, if mine starts to go, and it hasn't yet, you know, but if it, if it starts to go, uh, you know, when you get to that point where, you know, it's obviously time to make a decision, it's all coming off. Yeah, well, there, there must be phases. There has to be a phase where you go through hats. At least now, you can wear things like a fedora, and yeah. you're not going to stand out so much. It's still like, you know, I'm being cool. I'm not trying to hide anything. It's just you know. Yeah, except, you know, we uh, we went to see the Rascals show at the Royal Alex a little while ago, and the guys in the band are a little older. They're probably all edging, you know, in their 60s, edging towards 70. And they're all, you know, but they're rock stars. They're playing rock stars in the thing. But they're all clearly balding as well. So they're all wearing bandanas or hats or something. And I was like, you know what? We know. We know you don't have any hair. You're not hiding anybody. The mullet, long mullet in the back isn't fooling me that you have a full, luxurious head of hair. Well, what kind of rock stars are they playing? Like 50s, 60s rock stars? or they're, they're, they're playing themselves, right? They were... The Rascals were an actual rock band from the 1960s okay. uh, who had, like, People Want to Be Free, Groovin', uh, Good Love. You know the songs, right? And they, yeah, and they, they broke up in, like, 1969, 1970, and they did nothing. 
for years. Lived off royalties, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and then C.D. Van Zandt uh, from Bruce Springsteen's band and the actor from The Sopranos was always a huge Rascals fan, and he uh, convinced them to come back together, and they do a theatrical. It's, it's essentially a concert with lots of projections and things, but they did it on Broadway, and then they brought it here. So they're not, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's a concert, but it's the real guys from the from the 60s, uh, but, you know, now they have less hair than they once did. And they're trying to hide it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a good show, though. It was a fun show. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you have any topics, anything you wanted to, to well, share? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, Ben Affleck a little bit. I think we've, we've, we've covered that off. I mean, listen, as I, 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 will, I will reserve all judgment uh, until I see the movie. I'm not going to worry about something that hasn't happened yet. That is my that is my line in the sand. Do you remember when uh, Michael Keaton was announced? What the the outrage was? I mean, this is before the internet. Yeah, it's a little different. I mean, people were like writing into magazines, writing strongly worded letters into magazines, you know. Uh, and and I do remember it. And I went to the Canadian premiere of the first Batman movie, and people were excited, and people bought in right away. Like, yeah, right away. Yeah. So you know, once people saw it, they they got it. This might be a little different thing, you know. I mean, the movie, uh, if if it has anything to do with Zack Snyder's other work, it's not going to be as instantaneously likable, I don't think, as Tim Burton's Batman movies were. But we'll see. We'll see. So, fingers are crossed. That's all I'm saying. Well, I was going to share a couple things about... Uh... Uh, since we don't always get to talk about zombies, there was something that, that made me start thinking about zombies lately, uh, or as part of zombie culture, which is that amongst all the, the science journals and documents that I've been reading, there's been a lot of research on swarming, and what happens when you have large numbers of people that kind of come together. And I guess now it's partly because of technology. It's much easier to track large crowds and pick out the individuals and see what kind of behavior they're doing. And initially it's, it's stuff like what's happening with ants and what's happening with bees and schools of fish and learning from that and trying to apply it to us lovely human beings because we now live in an age where through Twitter and through Facebook we technically are starting to swarm. Right. It's good communication, but it's that kind of stuff. Uh, and swarming's always been kind of there in zombie culture, but kind of not. Um, so, for example, in the Walking Dead comic books, they have an entire um, book that's all about what they call the herd. Right. And they kind of touched on it in the TV series a little bit, but for Robert Kirkman, and, and you know, the, the difficulty is when you don't have any real science books so you can go and read about this, you sort of make up your own theory. And so his theory was that Amongst all the, the numbers of different zombies, zombies would occasionally react to a stimuli, and you'd get one that might just, for whatever reason, it could be the rustle of a leaf, it could be the squeak of a door, might set that zombie off to go walking in one particular direction. And that concerted effort might draw the attention of another zombie, and then another zombie. And the next thing you know, you've got a herd of a couple hundred, and they're all moving in concerted fashion, and in the book, that's what takes everybody by surprise. They don't hear them coming. They look over the horizon, suddenly there's hundreds of these things, and where do you go? It's this very, very frightening thing. But what's interesting about swarming behavior in terms of the research that they've done is there are two interesting experiments I wanted to share with you that kind of speak to what happens with us and our brains when we get together as groups and what's how that could be applied to zombies, because I think it's going to be big 
I'm not the only one reading this stuff, so I'm pretty sure that uh, in future series of Walking Dead and that kind of stuff, you might hear it. But the first experiment I wanted to share with you is called the uh, County Cow. Right. Okay, so you picture a county fair, and you've got a prize-winning, beautiful cow. Um, typically at fairs, I understand, there are experts, and these are men who, for years, they can go up and they can kind of eyeball a cow, and they can tell you how much that cow weighs. Right. And they're used to kind of, you know, give approximations for selling and that kind of stuff. But it turns out, you know, scientists have realized if you take that number that the expert gives you, it's never 100% accurate. It's never going to be as accurate as a scale. It's going to be close, maybe within about, you know, 10, 15 pounds, but it's never going to be accurate. It's good enough for the job, but it's never 100%. If, however, you put up a big sign as a contest, guess the weight of this cow, and you get 100 people to come and record a number, and it doesn't matter. You could have people who have never been on a farm in their lives. You could have people who uh, know something about cows. You could have little kids who are going to make this wild, wild guess, and you take all those guesses and you calculate the average. It will be closer than the expert will. Right, right. Uh, and that's something that they call crowd wisdom, which is unusual in that you can have a large number of people. They're not, you know, it's not like a hive mind. People aren't connected. But they will arrive and be able to solve complex problems better than an individual would. And they're right. doing it on an unconscious level. Yeah, it's got to be unconscious because, I, listen, have you ever tried to uh, figure out a bill in a restaurant when you're with eight or ten people? It doesn't work. It's impossible. <laughs> Because everyone turns into an idiot when you put eight or nine of them at a dinner table together and a bill shows up. So it has to be unconscious, I think. This, uh, yeah, well, and I think it's just, you know, it's it's Mother Nature sort of covering her bets that you, in terms of, of creating everybody as an individual, everybody's going to approach a solution differently. Right. But what's interesting is that if you take any individual from that 100 and they try to make an estimate, they're going to be way off. It's only if you take the average. So this isn't even something that the crowd is aware of. It's not like people who come up are aware that they're participating in all this. It's just something that happens. In a future zombie film, that becomes the basis for saying that if you get a bunch of zombies together, that they may be able to surprise everybody and do something that you would not expect, and certainly right. not all themselves. Right. The, the second experiment that's kind of interesting is the, um, the, the room on fire, the theater on fire experiment. Right. And so what you have is you've got a room, and you put about 30 people in that room. And you tell them, tonight we're going to have a party. We're going to have music. We're going to have food. We're going to have a DJ. Everybody's going to be partying. But at some point tonight, there's going to be a fire alarm. And we want you to know that uh, it'll happen. We won't tell you when. But you may notice that around the room, we've got different doors. There's one door we're going to help you. We're going to put a big fire exit sign there. You know, right. That's the safe door. You go through that door, you'll live. If you go through any other door, you're going to die. So just everybody have a good time. When you hear the alarm, make sure to go through the fire exit alarm uh, door, and you'll be fine. Unbeknownst to them, you then take four people from that room, and you take them outside, and you say, okay, psst, here's the deal. You guys, we're going to set that alarm off at 6.15. So we want you to know in advance, and we're going to put a clock on the wall so that you know when this is going to happen. And when that alarm goes off, we want you to ignore the safe door. We want you to run immediately through the unsafe door, okay? And everybody's all right, fine, fine, fine. And so then you have the party. The music's going on. People have got salsa chips, and they're having a good time. And then at 6.15, the alarm goes off. And those four people go through the wrong door and take ten people with them. Right. 
happens every time. And it's always the 10 people that are around them. And it's hilarious because you take those 10 people and you go, why did you go through the wrong door? You knew the right door. Yeah. And we told you which one was going to survive. And it, it comes down to that when you're in a, a group of people, your behavior changes. And one of the things is if there's any kind of fear or panic, and fear is contagious in crowds, that in a moment of indecision, if your brain notices that someone near you seems to know what they're doing, you immediately follow them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This doesn't surprise me. This, this, uh, this I, I don't find terribly surprising. This is uh, something that you see uh, constant. I mean, you know, if you've ever been in any kind of situation uh, where you know decisions have had to be made, there are people who are making the decisions, or you know, or or, or at least acting, and then there are a lot of people that are just going. I'm going to go with that person, regardless of what the consequences are. And that's why, not regardless, but they seem to know what they're doing. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to go. And that's, uh, that, yeah, yeah. This one I don't find a surprise. And the, the other one, the crowd group think, that one surprises me a bit. Yeah, that t and that one, uh, the, the, the County Cal one, has been done over and over since 1906. 1906 was the first time that experiment was committed. Every couple of decades, scientists go to a county far fair again, and they conduct it. And every time, the crowd always guesses better than the expert. The, the, the room on fire, that one's also been done several times. And again, every time, the, the, the ones who are in on it, they always take people out with them. Right. The reason that that is intriguing is that a lot of people are looking at that as a way to understand what happens with things going viral on the Internet. Right. Why is it that certain half-truths and lies and things like that that are spread on Twitter get picked up and spread as quickly as possible? And a lot of people right. feel it's the same kind of behavior that's going on, that when you have news of a bomb explosion or somebody dying, people in a panic will immediately just sort of retweet or follow somebody who seems to think that they know what they're doing, right. even if they don't, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Yeah, see, I, I tend not to retweet and pay much attention to that kind of thing. Uh, you know, if you look at my Facebook and Twitter pages, really, I'm just retweeting amusing things. I tend to, my, my, my pages are pretty light. There's not much on them about me personally, um, uh, very little, and there's, there's very little that isn't just like, look, it's a picture from a Hollywood movie in 1932 and a monkey is smoking a cigarette. Awesome, you know. <laughs> That's the stuff that I tend to be drawn to. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually the best approach. I tend to just retweet things that are amusing to me if I think somebody says something funny or useful. And that means, like, you know, somebody sending you a link to a website where there's, a, you know, advice or, or something that I think is very fascinating, I'll retweet that. But, yeah, you know, this late-breaking kind of panic-induced Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! I'm not really into to kind of watching information spread with lightning, but you know the, the, this is an interesting thing because it's become so influential in our society. I think that the dynamic has always been there to one extent, but right now it's been scaled up. It's so very powerful, and people have to wonder: Are there individuals out there, even if they are unconsciously only only unconsciously aware, are they using this trick as a way to kind of promote themselves to get further ahead in life? Are there politicians? who purposefully create moments of panic and fear, knowing that that induces people to follow them through the wrong door, as it were, you know? Well, I think that, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would, I would think that there's, uh, 
you know, that, that hero complex where people commit crimes and then, or, you know, set, set up something dastardly to happen and then just happen to be there to save the day and then they're treated as a hero afterwards. You know, that kind of thing happens apparently all the time. Mm -hmm. So it would not surprise me on a, on a larger scale, you know, if you had uh, someone who, who uh, you know, uh, um, was looking, was dipping in the polls or whatever, and, and, yeah, would create some sort of controversy that they could then solve. Absolutely not. That's, that's probably as old a political trick as there is, you know? Yeah, uh, and I guess the, the, the attraction now, if you are a scientist, is that the great thing about social media is that it gives you data. Yeah. There are actual Twitter tweets and Facebook things that you can kind of track and watch the way they spread, and, and hopefully that gives you some sort of gleaning as to how it happens. Uh, with bees, the whole swarming thing is about choosing the next hive. Yeah. And so yeah. apparently all the bees get together, and as they swarm, like the county cow, they can choose the best hive. Not one individual bee sort of doing it, but as a whole, unconsciously kind of doing it, choosing the best hive for the, the queen to set up. So right. it's fascinating and I think that I've seen a lot of chatter along this that it's probably at some point going to hit the mainstream where it will become, there will be experts on TV talking about this and applying it to elections and other things like that but it's kind of, I like those two experiments just because they're easy to relate to and I think they're kind of cool, you know, I would love to, to I would love to set up a room and tell people there's going to be a fire alarm and just watch right. on camera as people go in the wrong direction what's going on there, oh, it's crazy well, you mentioned bees, and this, again, has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about, but I was in L.A. for a week recently, and I was at a, a, a guest, not staying at, but I, I went as a guest to a very nice hotel, and it's a very famous one. I'm not going to say what it is, though, because, you know, this is kind of a weird story, but a very famous, very nice hotel, and like a lot of hotels, uh, they are, are making their own honey, right? Cool. There's a number of hotels here in Toronto that are doing it. Uh, but what's happened, you know, they have the hive set up, I guess, on top of the hotel. But what's happening is the damn bees are getting loose and stinging everybody at the pool. <laughs> so it's starting to get a bit of a problem. <laughs> Which I think is kind of hysterically funny. But, uh, you know, the honey, I'm sure, is delicious. Made with the blood of starlets that are sunning themselves at the pool, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, it only works, yeah, poolside, you've got all that, that lovely sweet drinks and, and oh, any kind yeah, of flowers like that they have, it's it's probably uh, not a good idea, good in, in thought anyways. But. Yeah, 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 I think that it apparently took them quite by surprise when it started happening. That's too bad. Well, you know, um, inner city honey is supposed to be really nice just because the, heat, the bees tend to grab pollen from a greater variety of flowers. They're having to search farther to try to find flowers, and it's always a different sort of patch, and so your honey apparently tastes much better. There are people who sought, who seek out inner-city honey. Really? Uh, yes, to, to get it as opposed to, you know, honey that comes from the country. Right. Well, I, I, my, my honey palate isn't that well developed. I don't think. I'm unable to tell the difference between rural and urban uh uh, honeys. Yes, well, there's an apiary outside of, uh, still in Ontario, but outside of Toronto called Clovermead. Right. And every year they hold the World Champion Bee Beard Championship. I've seen that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, and I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, it's it's sad 
that I live so close to that, and I'm not participating. I'm going to have to try to to write to them and see if I can take take part in that maybe next year or some year. Absolutely, get a beard be or a bee beard going. Yeah, absolutely. And then we can go to Notre Dame and just fit right in. That would be exactly. They would love that. They would love that there. I'm sure. So how are, uh, I guess we've reached the the end of this week's segment. Are you? Uh, yeah, it's a little shorter uh, than usual. I am a, a, honestly mole man has to go back in the dark. I can't stand being in the light anymore. I have another movie to go to, so I've got to run. Uh, but we will be back. Uh, it might be sporadic the next week or so because I'm about to uh, uh, move from one phase to the other. I'm in the screening phase now. I'm about to move into the. Uh, hellacious running from interview to interview phase, so I may not be around for a week or so, but we'll be in touch soon, and we will speak of all things zombie-like and more. Well, thank you very much, everybody. See you next time.